Have you ever had an experience like I have where you're looking for something to wear and you're digging through your closet and you discover that shirt or that jacket or something you have not worn in maybe a couple years and you pull it out and you go, I'm going to give this a try. And suddenly it becomes your go-to favorite. Or maybe it's the restaurant you've driven past time and time and time again and you never gave it a chance and then one day on a just a spontaneous moment you drive in grab a sandwich or a meal there and suddenly it's like I'm coming back and it becomes one of your favorites I had not spent a lot of time in the book of the Bible that we refer to as the letter to the Colossians and I'm just going to admit it was one of the places where I was familiar with it I had I had studied some back in school but I had not done a deep dive into this. And I just want you to know, I am very excited about this series that we're going to be in because it has become one of my very precious favorite places to go in Scripture. And the message that I believe that it has for us is so relevant. One of the statements, if you heard me preach before, you know I believe that we live in a time when these documents that were written in the first century are more relevant now in the 21st century than any of the centuries in between. Because I believe we live in very similar dynamics. And so we're going to study some things in Colossians that will jump off the page at you because you're like, how did Paul know what we would be experiencing? And I believe it's because it's exactly the things he was trying to address in this letter they were experiencing very similar things. And I'm going to unpack some of that today, and you're going to see some of those tie-ins. But as we launch, I, I, want to, I just want to tell you how much I'm grateful for the elders, for all their prayers. They, they pray for me. They pray for all the staff and for you, but specifically for me in the preaching role on a regular basis, and I'm so grateful for that. And i and I got to tell you, the preaching here is not a one-man effort because I didn't do all this. Okay, the fact that you've got journals in your hands and they've got labels on them and the stage looks as good as it does and we've got the cool videos. I just so much appreciate this staff because they go above and beyond in so many ways because they love you. They love this church and they love what God has to, to um, teach us. I, I'm guaranteed nobody's job description has put plants and vegetables on a farm stand up at the front. Okay. They just go and do that uh, to help us communicate the message. If you, have your, if you have your Bibles, if you have your journals, and I really do want you to be in these journals if you, if you want to use one, and I'm going to encourage you to bring a pen or a pencil. And because as we go through this, what I want to do is I want to give you some challenges as we go through this that maybe there's some time in the week you can take uh, some quiet moments and you can spend some time with God's Word in this journal and some of the notes that you've written down. And I think that will be a blessing. But I want to start by telling you about a man named Baton Mutal. And he was a Turkish man. And he's around 50 years old. And one night at a celebration, he had too much to drink. So he gets drunk. And he wanders off from his group. And he goes somewhere and eventually falls down and sleeps it off. Well, his friends do not know where he is. And so they institute a search party for him. 
And so they begin, and as the hours go on, the search party grows larger and larger, starts consuming more of the community, and they're looking for him. Well, meanwhile, Beta wakes up, and he sees that there's an activity going on. And so he's a little bit more in his right mind now, and so he goes and finds out that there's a search party, and so he wants to be helpful, so he joins the search party. Not realizing that he's the object of the search party. And he doesn't realize it until there's one group on one side and one group on the other. And they're kind of making their way down these streets and through the town. And the other group starts yelling his name. And then his group echoes his name back to them as they're shouting. Finally, he goes up to one of the police officers that have helped organize the search. And he says, I I think you're looking for me. I'm going to use that, it's, it's a goofy story, but I'm going to use that as an illustration of the fact that I think that's where we find ourselves in our world today. We find ourselves in a world where there's a search going on and we're all trying to find ourselves somewhere in it. And we're trying to figure out, with a lot of noise, what we can count on. And we're trying to understand what it is to be a person that knows who they are, what they believe, and what direction their life is headed in. Now, I share that story because that's where this church in a town called Colossae, that's what they're experiencing. There's a search going on. And in many ways, there's a debate going on about who they are, what their influences will be, and what kind of church they will be. Let me do some background real quick, because I I think this just helps. If you're wondering where in the world is the town of Colossae, I'll show you a map. You see Italy on the far left, you see Greece in the middle, Colossae's right over here, we'll zoom in just a little bit. It's in a place that we now refer to as Turkey. Back in the day, it would have been known as Asia. And in fact, if you're familiar with a book in your Bible called Revelation, the last book of the Bible, of the New Testament, uh, you may be familiar with there's there's a letter written to the seven churches of Asia. And that is this very area. In fact, one of the churches that's most famous is called Laodicea. And Laodicea is not too far from where the town of Colossae is. Colossae is a town that was in decline in Paul's day. Now, the people there were fine and wonderful, but it was being surpassed by all the other cities in the area. And so, today, if you go to Colossae, this is what you see. It doesn't have all the incredible ruins that Corinth had when we studied Cor- uh, the Corinthian letters. Here's some, of the, here's some of what they know exists, but it's not much. And in fact, unfortunately for some of us that really get into this kind of stuff, there's been no major excavation work done on this town. Now, there's always some talk about somebody's going to launch an effort to do it, but I am eager for them to begin some excavation work and archaeological work on this town because I believe it's going to hold some great potential for what God is trying to say to us through this. But Paul... The Apostle Paul, St. Paul, maybe you've heard him referred to before, is a man that has gone about the known world at the time 
and he's planted churches. And currently, he's in a city called Ephesus. And he, to our knowledge, he did not ever go to this town of Colossae. Now, he definitely did not plant the church there. We know that for sure. But he preaches in Ephesus, and a man named Epaphras comes and hears his preaching, believes in Jesus as Lord, and he takes, goes back to his hometown of Colossae, and there he shares the message of Jesus, and a church begins to form. And as far as we can tell, Epaphras begins to minister and lead and pastor this church. In fact, and so then at one point, he comes back to Paul and he gives an update. And Paul realizes, or Epaphras realizes, that he's in over his head because of the sum of things going on. And here's one of the things where Paul refers to it. Colossians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 says this. Just as you learned it, and the it in this sense is the gospel. Epaphras went back and he preached the gospel and people came to believe. Just as you heard it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul is writing them back and he says, your pastor, your minister has come to me. And, and you love him and I love him and what a job he's done. But he's told me that you're experiencing some things. And the question is, what were they experiencing? Now, we only get some hints at it in the book. But there, there's what I'm going to call, they were, they were listening to the voice and the spirit of the age. There was competing philosophies Repeating ways of which you should orient your life, which you should identify who you are, the way that you should, you should live your life, what's going to guide this life. And in fact, there are several of them, and they're all disturbing the church because the church is trying to figure out which one is true. Amongst the philosophies that they're dealing with, there was a mysticism. Mysticism is simple, to boil it down and make it really simple for us today, mysticism is the idea that you've got to feel more. You've got to experience more. There's a big mystery out there, and based on your spiritual experiences and, and your feelings and your emotions, you can tap into that through mysticism. A competing one was intellectualism. That says you've got to know more. You've got to add something to your knowledge, and oftentimes it was described as some kind of secret knowledge, some kind of code. And you can see where even in our today's world, every now and then there will be some kind of would-be prophet that comes along and says, I've cracked the code. Here's the code to the life that you've always wanted to live, and it's a secret that's been buried for thousands of years. Well, the last one that perhaps you may be more familiar with is legalism. And legalism says you've got to do more. And you've got to behave your way to connect to something higher. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to challenge each one of these throughout this book. Because Paul is going to come back with a very clear message and say that Jesus is the place where I want you to be spiritually formed. Jesus is the one that forms you. Jesus is the one 
that you're going to be grounded in. Jesus is the entire story. And so Paul's going to come back not with another philosophy, but with a person. And he's going to use the entire book to say, I want you formed in the image of Jesus. Formation for Paul is very, very important. Paul just doesn't want you to come to Christ. He just doesn't want you to come to Jesus. He wants you to grow up in Jesus. To be mature in Jesus. To be formed in Jesus. Paul is not um, satisfied with a bunch of immature baby Christians. He wants followers of Jesus to be formed by who Jesus is. And one of the struggles that we have today in the church in this country is that we don't have a passion for formation. One of the things that's been very evident over the last several years through all these crazy election cycles and through COVID and the last you know, three to four years that we've experienced together is that there has been guys that do what I do and friends of mine that have exited out of the ministry because they're not seeing any fruit from their ministry. They were under the impression that their preaching was somehow forming people, but our formation is being, is being happened by anything else but by Jesus. And so, what are you being formed by? Because we have so many different means of formation and people that want to form you into something else. And so many of us, what's happening is that we, yes, we go to church and we acknowledge Jesus, but Jesus actually becomes something we sort of sprinkle on top of everything else that's important to us. It's a little bit of Jesus added into our old ways of thinking, our old ways of acting, our old ways of behaving. And churches fall prey to this as well. Churches struggle and we lose sight of forming our people. We get caught up in simply, can we get the crowd together? Can we hang on for one more day? Can we make budget? And we lose sight of what we are here to do is to form one another. A guy that I admire a lot and a friend of mine and fellow preacher, Rick Atchley, he says it this way, and I love this quote, a lot of churches don't expect formation. Their goal is, would you come a little? Would you give a little, and would you only sin a little? If you could just avoid embarrassing us, that's what we would appreciate. We've lost sight of being formed. People now are more formed by what they experience on social media and their political parties. I am well aware of people that have left their church because of politics, but I'm not aware of anybody that's ever left their politics because of church. And Paul is going to come back with a very clear answer. And this is the thesis statement of the entire letter that he's going to write. And so today we're just introducing this one verse, or these two verses that go together. It comes in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Look what Paul says. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, 
abounding in thanksgiving. Paul uses an agricultural metaphor. I want you rooted in the faith. Where are you going to put down deep roots? Is it going to be the mysticism where you have to chase the feeling, the experience? Is it going to be the, the intellectualism where there's always just a little bit more knowledge that's out of your reach and there's a select group of people that know it and if you can get as smart as them, then you can connect with God too? Or is it going to be the legalism where if you would just do a little bit more, you could earn God's favor? And Paul's not going to have any of that. And he says, I want you rooted not in a philosophy not in a way of thinking. I want you rooted in a person, and that person is Jesus. Paul is going to say again and again and again in this book, all these other philosophies, what they're saying is, Jesus is nice, but you have to add something to him. You've got to add a feeling. You've got to add a thought. You've got to add an action. And Paul's going to have none of it. You don't add to Jesus is what Paul is going to say. I want you rooted in him. And he uses this very powerful metaphor. My grandmother grew up uh, on a farm and had a farm. In fact, her entire life that I was aware, she uh, lived in a farmhouse uh, out in the country in North Texas. And I would go out there in the summers. And I was a city boy going to the country, okay? And so... It was shocking to realize that vegetables didn't come from the grocery store. They didn't originate there. And then, of course, when I found out where eggs came from, that just blew my mind all the way around. But she, out behind her house, grandmother had a good-sized garden. In fact, she usually have about three gardens at different places on, on her land. But there was always one right out behind the house. And she'd get there and she'd till the soil. And then she'd plant a wide crop of vegetables, asparagus and potatoes and carrots and, and squash, tomatoes, onions. And she'd have all these neat rows and they'd all be labeled and she'd water it consistently. She'd always say, Scott, it's all about the roots. I didn't know what that meant at the time. I was just a kid that was throwing rocks at, you know, in the lake. But she would say it's about the roots, and she wanted the best soil, and she wanted it to have plenty of water because she knew if the roots went deep enough, she would have a harvest and there would be produce for us to enjoy. That's what Paul is tapping into right here. He's saying, Where will you be rooted in your life? Do you want to experience a harvest in your life? Do you want to experience a, a, an abundance in your life? Saying you must reject all the competing philosophies and find that in Jesus and Jesus alone. I'll give you a spoiler for the end, okay? This is a book, we're, we're going to call it Studying Colossians. But the way Paul writes this, this is nothing else other than a Jesus manifesto. Paul is writing about Jesus and he's going to say again and again and again, be rooted in Christ. Be rooted in the gospel of Christ. Be rooted in the grace of Christ. Be rooted in the supremacy of Christ. Be rooted 
in the completeness of Christ, be rooted in the church that Christ came to build. It's a Jesus letter from beginning to end, and Paul is going to say, I want you to be formed in that. We need more followers of Jesus that are willing to be formed and shaped into the image of Christ than we need anything else in this country. That is where Paul is writing to. And so Paul writes this letter, not to a church he started, but to many ways his spiritual grandchildren. And he sends this letter back. And it's a way for Epaphras to be encouraged and to encourage the church. And so as we launch in this journey, and I'm going to invite you to go along with us each and every week, each and every day as we get back, bring those journals back, open your Bibles, and we're going to be studying together. But I'm going to give you three things real quick this morning on what it means to be rooted in Jesus and what that will mean for us as we go on this journey and we discover that together. The first thing is, being rooted means you will live radically different. You will live radically different. Now, this word's been hijacked, right? It's a word used in our political dialogue right now, and it's, you, it's a word used to describe either the left or the right, depending on what side you're coming from. You throw the word across the aisle the other way. I want to go back to the original meaning. If you look up in the dictionary, the first definition of radically means to get back to the root. That's what it means. That's why if you have a surgery that's going to get to the root of the disease or get to the root of the tumor, it's called a radical surgery because you're getting back to the very core of it. And so what do I mean by this? You will live radically different. You will live not by a philosophy that exists out in the world. You will live by a philosophy that's modeled in the person of who Jesus is, and that will look different. I don't care what your political party is. No political party has Jesus 100%, okay? Now, you may have a certain issue that you think one party or the other leans into. No party has him 100% because I don't hear any party on any place saying, love your enemies. I don't see any political party out there saying, when someone strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. And so if you find yourself rooted in Jesus, it will be radically different than the world because you'll be living out the root source of all of life. Second thing is this. Being rooted means you will be internally strong. There will be a strength inside of you. Paul says, I want you rooted and built up. Paul does something my preaching professor told me not to do. He mixes metaphors right there. I'm thinking, if it's good enough for Paul, why can't I do it? He goes from an agricultural to a construction metaphor. He wants you built up. Now, I originally wrote this slide to have the word foundationally strong. Then I found out that foundationally isn't a word. So, we're going with internally strong. But the idea is that if it's a strong foundation that you're in, and that's what the roots are. The roots are below the surface, right? You don't see the roots. Nobody ever went past a, a field of beautiful flowers or beautiful produce or beautiful crops and said, wow, what beautiful roots they have. We don't see them because they're under the surface. 
you will have a strength inside of you when you're rooted in the person of who Jesus is that will be internally, it'll be foundational, and it will be a strength of which everything else in your life is built up on. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're struggling with, there is a place that you can be in this life, even as chaotic as it seems, that you can be strong and there's a peace that comes with that. Not because all the situations around you suddenly get nice and sweet, but because Jesus is in the middle of that with you. And when you are rooted into him, the storms lose their punch. And the last thing is this. Being rooted means you will be spiritually fruitful. Back to my grandmother. The deepest roots produce the best fruits. And there is a connection between how deep the roots go and the produce that comes from them. Paul uses this kind of illustration all through his writing. Paul's the one that wrote, maybe you're familiar with, the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul says, when you're tied into Jesus and you're tied into the Spirit, there is something that flows out of your life that is evident. And he says, that is joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. What Paul doesn't say is that you know that you're spiritually mature and formed if you, if you attend church every single Sunday. That's important, but that's not what Paul says is the mark of maturity. Paul doesn't say the mark of maturity is if you can spit out Bible verse after Bible verse. He doesn't say that if you are on the right side of all theological debates, now you're spiritually mature. What he says is, when you start to produce the fruit that the gospel was designed to produce in your life, it will be seen by others and there will be an impact because they will see you as a person of joy and kindness and self-control. And don't we need some of that in our world today? When Jesus is the place you are rooted, your life will become noticeably different. Not because your situation got better, but because your roots got deeper. And so this is going to be a time. That's why the subtitle of this whole thing is, it's time for us all to grow deeper together. So I've got two questions for you. If you want to write these down in your journal, I want you to do this. I want you to spend some time this week at the beginning of this. Question one is, what's forming you? What are the outside influences that you are listening to and you're giving an ear to, and what is forming you? Because you need to identify them because something is forming you. And the second one is, what is the fruit of your life? How are you seeing what's forming you being produced in your life? Is it creating fear and anxiety? Is it creating bitterness and anger? Or is it creating joy? Is it creating something else that somebody else would be drawn to? That's what Paul wants for this church. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we launch into your word, that we would be rooted in Jesus. Father, I pray that as you lead us into this, that we would shut down all other 
voices and lean into what Jesus is calling us to. Father, I pray for the college student that's right in a season of life where they're trying to be formed by lots of different inputs that you would give them a clarity. Father, I pray for the one that's being formed by a difficult situation at work. Father, I pray for parents as they're trying to form their children, that they would form it in you and they would learn from Paul's words on how to do that in Jesus. Father, I pray for the one that has grown up in the church their entire life and yet still struggles to become mature in Jesus, that you would form us all, Father. Father, may we be rooted and built up. May we go deep and be strong, not by our power, but by Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.